0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers, located on the web at wideteams.com. And on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is episode 27. I am your host, Avdi Grimm. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I do a lot of talking to dispersed um, software development teams. Well, this episode is a bit of a departure from that. In this episode, I talked to Susan Tenby and Jessica Daly of TechSoup. TechSoup is a nonprofit organization which helps other nonprofits uh, get the technology they need to better accomplish their missions. And one of the projects of TechSoup is is something called uh, nonprofit commons, which um which is a project for helping other nonprofits use the Second Life virtual world to um to collaborate, and to build community, and to find other creative ways of accomplishing their mission in cyberspace. I ran across Nonprofit Commons on Twitter originally. I, um, I saw an invitation to visit one of their meetings that they hold regularly in Second Life, and uh, I was kind of intrigued. So, um, you know, Second Life was something that I knew about, uh, but i'd never i'd never actually um played with it so i um i downloaded the client and i signed up and I went and attended this open to the public meeting held in second life and it was a fascinating experience um you know um if you've never used it it's i guess it's similar to to massively multiplayer RPGs like World of Warcraft, uh, you control an avatar walking around in a, a 3D virtual world, and uh, all these other people are walking around there too. And you can you can stop and and uh, converse with them via chat. And um, I at this meeting there were I don't know dozens of other people uh, all sitting around and. Uh, watching the uh, the proceedings and uh, I was able to strike up a conversation with someone who was who was virtually sitting next to me and and uh and as part of the meeting there was actually a field trip scheduled so uh, at, at when the when the appointed time came all the attendees uh, sort of shuffled into a teleport and uh, found themselves in this uh, virtual museum that some real world museum had constructed, and uh, and and took a little tour and. Um, you know, like I said, it was a fascinating experience. And I really came to appreciate very quickly the uh, some of the unique qualities it had over the kinds of remote meetings that I've had in the past. I mean, on, on one hand, I wasn't seeing people's real faces um, and I wasn't hearing their voices. But on the other hand, there was something uh, so much more... I don't know real or visceral about it um, just in in being able to have proximity to people even even a kind of a virtual proximity but you know these um you know the interactions that develop when you're not just talking to everybody at once but you're actually near to nearer to some people and farther away from others and um and you can see uh sort of where they're focusing their their attention because they're they're um virtual heads actually track where their mouse is pointing so you can see what they're they're paying attention to you can tell um when they're typing something out to you um there's just a whole nother quality to it it's hard to describe i think ultimately you you have to experience it for yourself so um that was a fascinating experience and i decided i i really wanted to talk to some of the people that were behind putting that virtual meeting together and uh I got in touch with Susan and Jessica, and they were kind enough to grant me an interview. And uh, and that is what you are about to hear. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, their work in Second Life and uh, the work that other nonprofits are doing there. Uh, but we also talked about the fact that they themselves are a distributed team. And so we talked about uh, how they transition to that and how they, they handle it. Uh, so it's all... Um, so it's all, uh, I think, very relevant stuff to remote workers and uh, and dispersed teams, and uh, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope it uh, piques your interest in exploring these virtual communities. This is Avdi Grimm with WideTeams.com, and I'm talking today with Susan Tenby, and Jessica, Jessica Daly, is that how you, how you pronounce it? That's correct. Of uh, TechSoup. And uh, if you could both tell me a little bit about uh, who you are, uh, where you are, and, uh, and what you do.
1: Okay. Um, so I'm Susan Tenby, and um, I... I'm sitting in San Francisco. I work for TechSoup, which is a nonprofit technology agency. Uh, We offer software and community and articles to nonprofits. Um, I work as the online community director of that organization, and uh, I run a distributed team. One of the programs in our team is a Second Life program. I went into Second Life and um, discovered that there was no central dep- repository or directory of nonprofits, so I decided that I would help build that community. Uh, the Second Life community is called the nonprofit Commons, and that ended up becoming a really great uh, tool to get volunteers and eventually to recruit a team so uh, my t- my distributed team. Evolved out of that program. And uh, we are, TechSoup is an organization based in San Francisco with many um, offices around the world. We're, we all have multiple distributed teams across the organization.
2: And I am Jessica Daly. I'm the project manager for Susan's team. And right now I'm sitting in Seattle. So I am one of those uh, remote workers.
0: <laughs> and, and tell me before we go on a little bit about the, the background and the mission of TechSoup.
1: Okay, uh, so TechSoup, as I mentioned, was a um, technology organization for nonprofits. We are ourselves a nonprofit. And uh, the organization was started 20 years ago under the name CompuMenter and based in San Francisco, where we were connecting volunteers with nonprofits to get their tech problems solved. The organization has grown. Um, I came on board to launch TechSoup. It was called Complimenter, as I mentioned. And I came on board over 10 years ago to launch the site. Uh, And the mission of the organization is we are working toward a day where every nonprofit and NGO across the globe gets the technology that they need, information community and technology products that they need to further achieve their mission.
0: Very cool. Now, uh, you mentioned that your team is a distributed one. How did that come about?
1: Well, uh, I was um, initially just a team of two, local San Francisco-based, and um, I we are the online community team, and I was realizing, you know, half of the people that we interact with, most of the people that we interact with are virtual. They're online. They're forum hosts. And then we launched this community in the virtual world of Second Life, and we were communicating uh, with volunteers virtually all day long. And it occurred to me that most of the meetings are virtual, either on a conference call line, on Skype, on other virtual tools like Second Life and live chat. Uh, There's no reason that I – I was posting a job description and not getting the people I wanted. And I was thinking, you know, I really need a person like someone like a Jessica Daly or something like that. And then it occurred to me that why do I have to hire somebody just because they live in San Francisco if somebody who's better suited to the the job and actually has been performing the job as a volunteer lives in another city. So that's kind of how I evolved um, into Having a distributed team. Luckily, my organization is a tech organization and they're pretty supportive um, over the past few years of, of members of our team moving to different cities. So I had the groundwork laid for me by other team members who moved to different cities outside of San Francisco. When I first started working there, there were 24 people and now they're now 300 and probably 50 of them are outside of our local office.
0: And how has that transition been? I mean, was the was the technology there for you? I mean, were there were there um, were there barriers to get over, or was it a pretty easy transition to make into a, a more distributed team?
1: It was a really easy transition to make because we had been already we were using Skype for a long time, using conference call numbers. I mean, I think that the main uh, difference is in scheduling, where um, as before we would have to rely on or we would we would rely on the fact that we're going to see them. We're going to bump into them in the kitchen or so you can have kind of a check-in over the desk. Now we actually have to schedule those, which means that I've had to make some adjustments for myself and require more of a, um, like I have to require that the team during working hours is on Skype at all times. And that's so that I can do the virtual equivalent of popping by their desk to ask them a question. They need to be accessible. If they get the privilege of working from home in their pajamas, the trade-off is that they have to be accessible online. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way that I've kind of mitigated, like right now, one of our team members is working from Paris for the month, which is a great privilege for her, but the trade-off was that she and I have a daily check-in for 15 to 20 minutes at 9.45. So we're mm-hmm. kind of doing it in agile style, whereas before we would only check in once a week because we sat next to each other.
0: Mm-hmm. So is that something, so you you are practicing a, a daily kind of stand-up type meeting?
1: Uh, for, for most of the team, not, not okay. everyone. Jessica, um, we end up talking anyway, so we don't have a set-up time. We mm-hmm. end up kind of talking um, anyway. The only kind of challenge I find is this team, was working as volunteers before, so it's a little bit of a transition for them to have me have more expectations of them. I have, mm-hmm. I have the added privilege of getting to test my employees for two years before hiring them. But <laughs> I don't have that because we have such a great volunteer base. Um, so I basically only hire out of my volunteer base. Um, the 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 one thing I, I've noticed. Um, in this transition, which is, you know, fairly recent transition, is that often it's just easier for me to say, can I talk to you in voice? And sometimes I find resistance from the team where they don't necessarily want to. They'd rather just type to me, but it's way easier and quicker to just get what I'm trying to say across in voice than it is to try and describe it over text chat.
0: Right. And do you ever use video at all or do you just use voice?
1: You know, for certain people I do, and for certain people I don't. I with Megan we we do video Skype every day, but with Jessica because uh, I guess because her her computer doesn't have a laptop camera. I don't know why, but for some reason we don't. I prefer um, to have video Skype just because it's um, you know it's more like face to face. I did a webinar yesterday with video Skype, but the downside of video Skype is you you know you have to make sure your hair is your hair is brushed. But right. other than that, there isn't that much of a downside
0: and do you ever um, do you ever see each other in person Um, how how often does that happen
1: yeah and Jessica I want you to chime in as well do you want to do you want to take this one
2: Sure. Yeah, I actually uh, come to the offices in San Francisco about once a month, if not more. We do quite a bit of traveling to uh, present at different conferences, so I'm I see them, you know, all of the team often uh, any of those times, and that's really helpful because there is certain conversations that just really happen better in person. Um, not a lot. There's there's quite a bit that can be done, like Susan said, either via phone call or Skype or video Skype or email or whatever tool it is that you want to use, but there's certain conversations, kind of deeper conversations that sometimes come up that that work best, it seems like, in person. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just good to connect with people face to face on occasion, I think. <laughs> Otherwise it's right. a little bizarre. So yeah.
0: Now um you, you mentioned uh that you have a a little bit that you have a, a project in Second Life and that's actually that's actually how I became aware of, of TechSoup. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, first of all, for those who don't know, uh, what is Second Life?
1: Uh, Second Life is an online 3D virtual world uh, where all of the content is created by the inhabitants. Uh, they have several million members, but the concurrency rate is about uh, 55,000, I believe, is the current number. So 55,000 people are online at once. Uh, It is a very – like any kind of massive multiplayer online role-playing game or online world, it has a variety of different types of people involved. But what we're doing is we're doing work in Second Life. We aren't playing a game. We aren't doing any role-playing. We are actually a a nonprofit community that I launched in Second Life. So that's what we're doing. And you can learn more about what we're doing specifically um, through our blog, Mm -hmm. nonprofitcommons.org. you can also – we're on YouTube at Nonprofit Commons. You can look at our video and take a peek at what we're doing.
0: Well, if I could get you to talk uh, – to actually um, give a little bit more about what you're doing in, in Second Life. Um, because, you know, what is, what is the interest of, of nonprofits in Second Life, basically?
1: Uh, what are nonprofits doing in Second Life? Yeah. Uh, nonprofits are um, using it like any other online social networking tool, like Facebook, like LinkedIn. They're, they're – finding connections with other organizations that may have a similar mission or they might have a similar geolocation uh they're, they're using it we're basically having a, a general meetup of nonprofits um every week we have kind of up to 90 avatars but anywhere between 50 and 90 avatars showing up every week at 8:30 a.m. to talk about different things like for example um American Cancer Society might come and talk about raising funds for the Relay for Life or another organization might come and talk about, um, the Tech Museum might come and talk about what they're doing in San Jose with the Tech Museum and um, how they won the um, the Tech Awards or something like that. Um, so we have different, as long as it pertains to nonprofits, uh, it's pretty open but if you just kind of imagined the um, significance of the fact that this has been an ongoing open town hall networking meeting with a speaker and then some Uh, introduction time where you say where you're from and what organization you're from with a live community blog community tagging uh, community images and um, open networking time and open mic to share events with the rest of the community this has been going on for four years and we still have that many people showing up from around the world just imagine if you were trying to produce a meeting of 50 to 90 people every week and you could do it for free from the comfort of your own desk so they're really just using it as a networking tool They're also writing it up um, in their grant work. So, for example, one of our um, tenants uh, is a – NA and AA kind of um, recovery support organization called Preferred Family Healthcare, they um, were having virtual kind of anonymous virtual support group meetings, Second Life um, bolstering the anonymity factor. They wrote a grant and got $800,000 for those efforts in Second Life, not all of those results you know, are typical at all. And we haven't, you know, we're doing capacity building at TechSoup. We're, we're teaching nonprofits how to use the tool and giving them opportunities um, to kind of try the tool and giving them a virtual office, which if you think about it, is kind of like a 3D website. Like, that's what we're helping nonprofits do. But um, the, Jessica, do you have anything more to add to that?
2: No, I think you really covered it. Um, Second Life winds up providing a, a- bit more of a a deeper connection than you might get in some of these other places, and a little bit more kind of random meeting of people Hmm. uh, that winds up being uh, very good for a lot of folks. And, And as Susan mentioned, a group like the Tech Museum... I'm not going to hear about that necessarily in Seattle, or I'm certainly not going to be able to go and explore it from here. I can probably go look at their website, but that's pretty flat. Even if it were a very great website, it's still going to be just a website. Whereas within Second Life, I can go in and explore in an an immersive environment that I can't get any other Mm -hmm. way short of traveling. (laughs) So it winds up being something that that people become much more engaged with than you Mm -hmm. really ever could within a website.
0: So I mean, yeah, I mean that's 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 the the question like that, that comes it immediately suggests itself to me like why, um, and and I think it's it's maybe it's it's hard to even answer that until you've actually actually been in the environment um, and, and, tried it out, but you know, why not a, a, conference call or setting up a scheduled chat, you know, with just regular chat software or something like that? What is
1: I think there's, because there's a, well, there, I mean, there's a number of reasons why. One is because there's a sense of embodiment. So you kind of actually see the person as they want to represent themselves and you can see them talking versus just a name. So there's a lot more kind of identity aspects to it, mm-hmm. um, which kind of also allows for an element of fun and creativity and, um, More importantly, it's a 3D environment. So you can actually, like I said, that all the content is created by the inhabitants. So you can represent your virtual office to look like whatever you want, and you can have experiential learning happen that way. So the networking kind of goes beyond just words on a page. It becomes an experiential networking activity that you can actually traverse. You can walk through a human heart. You can walk through... um, Gitmo, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know Guantanamo Bay. There, there are different experiences that people are producing. So they're interactive events. We, what we do often is we will live stream a webinar that's going on in Second Life into the nonprofit commons, and then that way the the community listens to the webinar together. When you usually listen to a webinar, you're listening one on like you are listening by yourself in front of a computer, mm-hmm. but. This way, you're listening among others, and so there's a back-channel kind of side discourse going on, covering what the topic is at hand, and there's somebody, um, in avatar in-world, moderating that discussion. So it kind of adds a lot more uh, complexity and a lot more dimension to online interactivity.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think you'll get more if you look at the video as well. I mean, I always say when people say, well, can you describe Second Life to me? It's like (laughs) thing like, can you describe music? You have to just go there and see it. But uh, an easy way for you to at least get a, a better sense is by looking at our video on YouTube.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, and I can vouch for that. I mean, until I I actually, I mean, that was that was really what 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 prompted me um to to create a Second Life account in the first to finally create a Second Life account was to to witness one of these meetings and it was a fascinating experience and it's 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 I don't think you could really get a feel for it without you know seeing it. Um you mentioned the the group that's that is doing uh like a um an aa type of thing in, in second life are there any other other interesting you know groups making interesting use of second life uh that there you can ma- think of
1: there are many i mean we have hundreds in our community well
0: you know uh, any any, any that particularly Jessica, do you
2: want to? Jessica, do you want to shout out some? And sure, there's a ton of support groups that are happening in Second Life. That's a really uh, great use that happens there. Um, we've got a lot of groups that are focusing on different kind of support groups for maybe. Um, People, parents who are experiencing children or who have children who have illnesses, come in and and do support group meetings. Um, Another really big one that's happening right now is um, military veterans. So a lot of folks who are coming back from um, Iraq or Afghanistan are in Second Life and. You know, using that tool, one of the things that you can think about is if you're if you're struggling with having returned back from from one of these places, uh, and it's two in the morning and you're awake, you know, and you don't want to call the guy down the street who might understand what you're going through because that person might be sleeping, Um, but you can go into Second Life at any time of the day or night and find somebody that's there you know that has dealt with your situation so it winds up being a great tool for that kind of thing um and again because of the fact that it is so much more you you know the physical embodiment that you have by having an avatar the same way that you might with any kind of video game or anything else that you play like that for people who are not familiar necessarily with second life you do sort of embody that character that you've created it's much more um personal than you would see with kind of just a flat text or even a phone call. Um, you're in, you're Engaging all of your senses in a way that you don't in either of those other mediums. So uh,
1: um, other other organizations to highlight just to get back on on the topic would that I, that um, I think are important are there, there's quite a few museums that kind of give the showcase of what they're doing in Second Life. I think that's an interesting use of it. There are libraries that um, have virtual um, offerings, so like a lot of their online publications will be presented there, um, so that. It's like a virtual library. And, um, Jessica, I think what your organization, your former organization, Jessica like, actually came on board as a volunteer, and now she works full-time for me. And, <laughs> I, I poached her <laughs> but, um, <laughs> because she started as a second-life volunteer, and I realized how, uh, how much she helped the team. But, Jessica, why don't you talk about the organization you were with before TechSoup?
2: Sure. So I was with a community voicemail, which is a national nonprofit who provides voicemail um, to people who are homeless or in transition. My, my tagline for that was, um, you know, it's hard to get a job without a phone number. And we kind of forget about the fact that, that you have to have that tool, even in this day and age, you can't get by with just an email address or something else, whether that's to stay in touch with your family or to get an, you know, a, a new housing situation or a doctor or your kid's school or whatever, you do actually need to be able to give out a phone number. And so that's, what we provided in second life, uh, the office that we have there, we used as a tool to really kind of explain to folks, um, what we were doing and why we were doing it. We would get a lot of pushback. Well, can't somebody who lives at a shelter just use the shelter phone and and why that doesn't work. And you can kind of think of back to days of college when you have, you know, 20 roommates, it just doesn't work. Um, (laughs) not very well, certainly not when you're talking about something important, like a job or something like that.
0: Yeah. And I'd heard of that project. That's a great project.
2: Yeah. And so we use that, we created a really immersive, instead of me just dabbling to people about what it is that we do and why that doesn't work or whatever, I basically created an office where it's kind of a scavenger hunt and you would go and look around and click on things and they would talk to you and tell you about, um, why this works or why this doesn't work or, you know, how the reason that a lot of our folks have cell phones, but still want a CVM number, you know, a lot of folks are, are paying as you go and can't afford to always pay as you go. Um, and so just at the ability to to kind of make it more fun than just babbling about the reasons for this or that or the other to allow people to explore and learn in an immersive environment and that's another thing that that uh, to mention there's a ton of educators in Second Life again for that same reason that you can create an environment that's immersive so the one that I heard about and this is quite some time ago was Edgar Allan Poe's. Um, Oh, I, I'm, I'm spacing on what it was, uh, the telltale heart and mm. building that room with the telltale heart underneath it. And so you, you can experience that book in whatever way it is that a, that particular student decided that that should look like. Mm. Um, so instead of just simply you know reading a book, you, you can kind of make it into something much bigger. And there's a ton of different educators from lots and lots of universities doing all sorts of different things in Second Life.
1: NASA also has a presence in Second Life, which is an interesting. So they they show you – there's the element of – there's a blog that is really interesting called Not Possible in Real Life. And that's all about, like, why you would use Second Life. Hmm. So, um, like, NASA has – um, some Some build some second life where you are able to traverse the surface of the moon and it's educational and it's stuff that you couldn't see in the real world and you definitely couldn't see in chat mm-hmm. and again, I mean so, so there's all those those reasons, and then there's also the reason of like how on earth could I have a live open town hall meeting right. re- for free and make it so easy for people to to join.
0: Right. So that's 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 actually that brings up uh, one of my questions. I mean, is this for for a distributed organization whether whether for-profit or non-profit? Is this something you'd recommend um as a, as a tool to use um for meetups and things like that?
1: Yes, I mean, I, I think that we um we are able to extend in person the audience of in person using Second Life because now every single meetup that we have we have because I, I run an online community meetup every month and um, the team you know is part of it like Jessica and Megan but I've also been doing that for several years and only recently I started um, thinking wait I could bring the Second Life audience because they are part of our community into this meetup easily if we just stream. So this Second Life tool allows you to live video and and audio stream in both directions. Mm. So what that is called is mixed reality, sometimes Mm -hmm. called blending reality. And so what that means is that the avatars in in the virtual world can interact with the people in the real room and the screen being like a a virtual portal between the virtual world and the physical world. That's something that could never happen without this tool. Another thing is that for example, our staff meetings, our TechSoup um, larger staff meetings, we have people from around the world on uh, conference calls, you know, on, a, on a, like a Adobe Connect kind of thing. And what's so funny about it is that it never works. The audio is bad. They can't, they can't really see everyone in the room. They can only see the speaker we can see them, but it's it's really not very useful, whereas I always say if they were just in second life, it would be so much easier. We'd all be sitting there. We'd all be talking. It would be in voice. It would be so much easier. But
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: everybody has this kind of fear of the unknown and the barrier of entry, and that's oh, yeah. really what the, the nonprofit commons project, the mission of that specific project is – we're trying to lower the barrier of entry to, to use the virtual world so nonprofits can realize that it's a viable tool to enhance their communications, to increase their volunteer base, to network with others and eventually to raise funds and better achieve their mission.
0: Mhm. That's great. That's that's a that's a really cool goal. Um We we talked a lot about um, Skype and about uh, of course about Second Life. Um, Are there any other tools uh, that you find useful uh, uh, working with a distributed team?
1: Uh, I mean, Jessica, do you want to talk about um, about five PM web?
2: Yeah, we spent some time trying to find kind of the best solution. And I I don't know if we found the best solution, but we found one that works for us Mm -hmm. uh, currently uh, as far as project management. And so 5PM Web is what we've done. Something that's online It's basically just a a pretty basic project management tool, which is kind of what we were looking for. We didn't want something that was so in-depth that it was – you know, more to manage it than it, than what we were trying to actually manage, um, which can definitely happen with project management tools. Um, this one is pretty intuitive and allows us to keep everything online since we're not all on the same, you know, network. Uh, it works really great for us. I would say another – we've got a number of different tools. Another one that I, we use quite a bit is Evernote, um, it, which is a fantastic tool for kind of templates. You know, I've written this person's letter or um, here's where all the different links are for this or that or the other. That's been a fantastic tool to use. I, I was actually turned on to that by Megan, our, our coworker, um, and absolutely love it. Use it constantly now. And again, because it's it's online, I, I'm not tied to a, a physical space, a physical computer or. Um, or a Word document or whatever Uh, the the thing that makes it great even more so than Google Docs is the ability to tag it so that you know if it's a letter to this person that you can kind of tag it with all the different things that would be appropriate to it to make you able to find it again which is just absolutely fantastic
1: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, that the tools that we – it's funny because our st- I don't even think our staff realizes, you know, that we have a distributed team, um, which is why I kind of tweeted with that hashtag the day I, that you found me mm-hmm. was uh, I don't think that our staff realizes that there is a methodology behind it and that I have thought about the fact that we are a distributed team and I've thought about how to manage that and what the tools – are that can best accommodate that and what the rules and regulations or the kind of systems that we need to apply would have to do have to be to make it work. And the kind of personalities that you have to have to make that thing work. And, um, so I think the tools that we use in general are email, Skype, uh, second life, uh, ready Talk conference call or, you know, another conference call, not just because we get ReadyTalk for free at TechSoup, but, um, and, uh, I think that that's pretty much it. We use the phone, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. as well, but mostly Skype. And, um, you have, it's about, you know, having to find the right kind of personalities that can do this kind of work. And what those kind of personalities are are people that are not nine to fivers. This is not, never will working with me in a distributed gig be a nine to five job. Mm -hmm. It's not ever, we're never going to be like, okay, it's five, don't contact me. Mm -hmm. I have the team. Has to know that with the privilege of being able to work from home comes the expectation that there might be emails coming in, you know, in the middle of the night or there might be, um, you know, a Skype call on a weekend or, you know, because it's that, it's that kind of work. It's an always on kind of job and community shifts and is messy and it doesn't turn off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are things that come up. So you have to pick the right kind of personality that likes that kind, has the tolerance to multitask. Oh, also webinars, of course, are another thing we, we use, but has the tolerance to multitask and is interested and engaged by it.
0: Mm-hmm. If you were to to, to talk to a um, a group that was thinking of, of building a distributed team, uh, is there any advice you would have for them?
1: Yes. Um, I would say... Up front you have to find the right kind of people that have the um, tolerance for being distract, uh, for being disturbed, you know, for, for having like somebody ping them on Skype and they don't find that disturbing. You have to find the right kind of um, so people that that are willing to be online and on and logged on so that you can access them you have to have an agreement with your team um, and regular expectations of meetings you have to have like a regular set check-in so with our team we do a few like i do a a few 15 minute one-on-ones every day but i we also do a larger team huddle on skype once a week um there has to be kind of set So set meetings, um, expectation of being pinged at off hours. Um, We have to have the expectation that you let people know where you are because they can't see you. So like if you're going to step away and go grocery shopping or take your dog to the vet, you have to let everybody know. Um, Other advice would be this could only work with people that are comfortable being in front of a computer all day like this it can't work with people who need to like take long breaks and need a lot of structure. It's got to be motivated. Um, you have to hire people that are self motivated and have a lot of initiative. Otherwise you run into problems. And I think finally picking the right, uh, project management tools. And, um, another tool that we use that I think is important that we forgot to mention is we tweet as a team on Hootsuite. So picking, um, Tools that can accommodate a team is important so that you're not all, uh, like, stepping on each other's toes. We can see who's done what. Same with the project management tool. Same with our systems for using Google Docs and Evernote. Uh, Picking tools, project, we also use Basecamp for another distributed team that I'm working on. So um, picking the right tools and the right kind of – setting up the right kind of systems at the beginning helps clear up any kind of stress around – uh, expectations not being met. Jessica, do you have anything to add to
2: that? Um, I would just say, if you're just starting out, uh, to be ready to be malleable to, to change, get something to go, and you know if that doesn't work, come up with a new way to do that. Um, we've done a lot of kind of changes and expect er, er, and, and just trying new things to see what works for us um and i so i think that you know don't and i think this is probably true in any work environment don't think that you've got the perfect situation right from the beginning be ready to take on some changes and change as your projects change and as your people change and as your needs change
0: all right Um... If people want to find out more about TechSoup or about Nonprofit Commons or any of the the other um, projects you're involved in, uh, where should they go?
1: TechSoup.org and NonprofitCommons.org. The Twitter accounts at NPSL for at Nonprofits and Second Life and at TechSoup. So at NPSL and at TechSoup and us as individuals at Jessica Daly and at Suzboop, S-U-Z-B-O-O-P, same as my Skype handle. Uh, I guess that's enough for for sending around.
0: Susan, Jessica, thank you very much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams Podcast. Please visit us on the web at wideteams.com to leave feedback and enjoy more articles, screencasts, and conversations about dispersed teams. The Wide Teams Podcast is a service of ShipRise LLC and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. Our music is by Giles Boquette. Until next time, this is Avdi Grimm signing off.
2: (laughs) wow 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 wow